Ultimate Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And we're powered today once again by Geico. And guess what we're doing today? Celebrating 40 years of Anthrax with the core lineup. 40 years. That's so amazing. Guitarist Scott Ian, Charlie Benanti, of course, uh, my good friend. Uh, all these guys are my good friends. The Frank Bello on bass, singer Joey Belladonna. Uh, this monumentous occasion is being brought to you today by one killer sponsor for this one killer band. I'm talking about our fellow rock and roll fans, Geico. And you know, uh, Geico is going to be the first in at the Anthrax 40 live streaming event this Friday, July 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Get your tickets and see the special show at anthraxlive.com. And if you haven't seen the Anthrax 40 documentary series, you can check it out on Anthrax YouTube channel. 22 episodes. We talk about some of that stuff that the doc covers. It's coming up uh, on the show. The documentary is amazing. Split up into 22 different episodes, like we said. We also hit on some of the incredible pioneering groundbreaking highlights from the band's 40 years the big four shows their parents unmarried with children traveling on iron maiden's private plane flown by bruce dickinson the making of the among the living and spreading the disease records and joy belladonna joining the band we'll get into the infamous roseland ballroom gig that landed anthrax their first major label deal along with metallica and raven we'll talk about scott ian shaving his head and charlie cutting off his hair in a time where heavy metal was synonymous with long hair. Anthrax was the first to do that. Of course, the first to wear board shorts on stage, the first to incorporate rap and metal together. Uh, So many pioneering moments in Anthrax's 40-year career. Unbelievable that they've been 40 years together so far. Uh, We're going to celebrate that with Scott, Charlie, Frank, and Joey. The 40 years of Anthrax starting now on Talk is Jericho, thanks to Geico. Let's just go right into it. So this is pretty crazy that we're talking about the 40th anniversary of Anthrax. That's got to be in the top one, 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 one percent to uh, even get to 40 years. And here you guys are as a band, one of those rare occasions when you could possibly be bigger now than you've ever been. First off, does it seem like 40 years or 38 years or 36 years, depending on, on who we're talking to here? Only when I see my doctor, it feels yeah. like 40 years. <laughs> I just came from physical therapy, literally. On my, <laughs> I've got tennis elbow, which is the worst name for a right hand thrash metal playing guitar injury. And they, they, well, you've got tennis elbow. I'm like, can't we call it something else? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thrash elbow or something. I'm not lying. I just came back. I just got a cortisone injection right in my shoulder. So, this so yeah, song's so kind of yeah, like Chris is great. <laughs> 40 years in, it's great, dude. It's going yeah. well. This is this is like Jaws. Let's let's discuss all of our rock and roll injuries. Yeah. I chipped a tooth once on the mic stand. Hold on, I got one right. <laughs> <laughs> It's all that. Shit, it's crazy. But yeah, this is what happens in your 40th year. You, you talk about your doctors and how I can stay on tour. It's wonderful. <laughs> Doing these interviews and stuff like that, it brings you back. And yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, it's not exactly 40 yet, but thinking about all the stuff that we, we've done, you start to put it into years and it's like, yeah, it's been that long. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I, when obviously I've been doing a lot of, going through boxes and bins and looking for photos and just going through old stuff. And uh, um, so, you know, kind of taking that trip down memory lane, which is something I I don't often do because, you know, we're always busy. We're always working. We're always moving forward. Uh, Again, another shark reference, but uh, (laughs) getting to spend the time and working on this doc series that we've been running leading up to the actual anniversary. It's been great. You know, I look back at old photos and uh, yeah, it does feel like like, oh, my God, like that. It's like lifetimes ago when I look back at some of the stuff. Are you guys doing that also when you when I've seen some of these videos for the first time in quite a long time? Is it like bringing back all that time and you kind of live it again? It's like, man, that was such a good time. I wish we had more of that. It's so just hanging out things we had. And I'm looking and it's been a great ride just seeing these things like, wow, we had a great time. I, I'm just saying this as a fan, and we were the guys. We were the guys in it. It, it, it really feels from the heart. It's, it's a great ride. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, t- I've talked more about Ithaca, New York, 
in the past few weeks than I did when I was in Ithaca for six months. <laughs> Joey, our friends at Geico want to know, what do you think back to when you think about all these years? Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great things that we've done and, and all the people that have been like so influenced. I'm really, really happy to hear a lot of that because it makes you feel like you've actually done more than you even know of, you know, and how, how you've really made an influence and an impact on a lot of musicians that you would never think that even had any kind of influence on you or even knew about you that much at all. And, and obviously all these reminiscings that we got going on, it makes you really, really understand that it's been a quite a while, you know, so. Yeah, it's definitely awesome. You know, it's great. I just had my uh, 30th year anniversary in wrestling about six months ago in October. Congrats, man. That's awesome. Thanks, dude. But but just to, just to hear all the people that you influence coming out of the, uh, you know coming out and saying all these nice words does that blow your mind a bit? Because I've been watching the documentary. I wait every day. I refresh. Oh, the new one's up, and you got this cast of characters that are the who's who in so many different realms, all saying how much they love Anthrax and how influenced they are by your band is that something that, that when you hear it and see it does it make you go like holy shit we really did do something cool here it's funny last i i was watching the edit of the the one that's up today the episode nine and it's got lots of people saying wonderful things about among the living and uh i got scared for a second thinking like i hope this doesn't come off like like we're just being like look at all these we're just putting all this stuff the people saying nice things about us like who the fuck do we think we you know and <laughs> i asked pearl i said is this coming off weird and she's like no this is it's your 40th this is what like this you should have even more like it's like it's amazing and i you know and i, I do feel that way and, and i have to point out specifically i had no idea that all these years that that henry rollins was actually such a fan and yeah. that's the one that got me and me been paying such close attention yeah like i've known henry for a long time i never once assumed he was a fan of our band but we've been friends and he's always been super cool and uh but i never i was probably not into you know what we do and we, it's not we never talk about it but uh then to see he's got all this very like uh, uh, deep and thoughtful stuff to say <laughs> yeah. about the first three records. I was like, well, he's actually was really paying attention back then. <laughs> the thing is, um, I think like for us and I think other guys and bands will understand it, too. Like when you're making a record, you feel like, oh, I think this is really good. This is really good. But it's only until it comes out and then other people tell you how good it is. That's how you measure it. So when I hear when I hear people talking about us in this way, I, I'm getting kind of like embarrassed and I'm blushing because it's like, wow, <laughs> I never knew. So now whoever said all these great things, next time I see them, I'm just going to just smile at them. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, it's almost like you're, you're watching like in memoriam. I'm like, are we dead? You know, it's, it's one of those things. It feels so uh, good. No, but actually, we, yeah. We've accomplished a lot of stuff. I mean, we we're actually pretty good you know we what we've <laughs> yeah. done is real i mean we still have a lot to offer people and uh, i think people appreciate what we've done and it makes you feel good about them you know it's all you can i mean let's come on let's just be fucking honest we fucking rule among the living <laughs> is the fucking best thrash record ever made and everyone shut the fuck up <laughs> Dude, that's going to be used so many places. That little, that little sentence right there. There's your blabbermouth clickbait yeah. right there. If you know, you know what it. You know how hard I'm, I'm getting into wrestling now. You know how hard it is to make forty years. It's because we fucking rule. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about about kind of the form of music that you helped pioneer. Talking about thrash metal, and it's interesting because when you watch back and see, you know, the documentary that we're talking about and fistful of metal is more kind of a, a Judas priest, a little bit heavy motorhead type of a vibe. And then you get Joey and then suddenly you start getting a little bit more thrashy. Was this something like, do you start out saying we want to do something heavier than heavy? Or was it just what you experienced from New York with hardcore and punk? Were you influenced at all by what you were hearing out of the West Coast? How did the sound kind of really form? The thing about the first record, like when I first came in the band, I think Scott will agree, they had about four or five songs. And then when I came in the band, there was the rest of the songs were written and it took on a more, I would say, accept meets mm. kind of, you know, motorhead. Um, motorhead. And that's the direction. 
by the time spreading came along, the whole New York influence, I think, was upon us. And like I said, the last song on that record was to be uh, recorded was AIR. And that was the bridge from that record to Among. Because then that was it. That was the sound, I think, that we all kind of heard and we all kind of like gravitated to that. That's where we wanted to go. And that's how it happened, really. And then we just we felt so comfortable. And those songs on Among the Living, especially, man, they were just like, bam, one after another just started to come out and it just grew into a monster. I would say, I mean, yes, certainly early on, because there were songs like pre fistful, there were other originals that never even made it past, you know, to even Charlie being in the, in the band. There were, there were other songs that I, there was a song called Satan's wheels. There was wheels. Song, <laughs> there was a, there was a song I called Evil demo. dreams. Yeah. There was What's a, it called? Uh, a song called, yeah, there was Sa- Satan's wheels. There was a song called evil dreams. There was a song, uh, the first original we ever had was a song from Danny that Lilka wrote that was from his old band, uh, White Heat. And it was a call, song called Hunting Dogs. I mean, there's demos of this stuff out there, but <laughs> none of these songs, you know, you quickly start to realize then like a better song gets written and you're like, oh, well, yeah, this is the direction we should be going. And those other songs are they're shit compared to mm. this. And Iron Maiden was certainly in the early days. Right. I mean, it was Maiden and and Motorhead and Priest, certainly in the early days. Like I'm talking like 82. That was definitely was the biggest, you know, influence on us. But the thing we don't talk about in this documentary was the song, I think, that really changed the, uh, the, the sound of the band was Soldiers of Metal. Yeah. It had that kick drum pattern with the yeah. guitar. Yeah. You know, that was going into the next that was next level for us. So I think that song also was like, there it is. That was the gateway. That's right. Johnny Z heard it. And he said, by, by the way, way, by the way, <laughs> by the way we, we're going to put this out on a seven inch. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. By the way, it's mega. It's mega. Trivia from our friends at Geico, which I think they got from me. Do you know that Anthrax was one of the first bands that Johnny Z ever signed? And that Fozzie was the last band Johnny Z ever uh, signed? Wow. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow. Full circle there. One of the things that you talk about in the documentary that's very interesting because it's really true is, is at this time frame in 84, 85, if you're talking about the quote-unquote big four and you can throw in Exodus and all the other bands that were going, all different types of singers. You lose Neil Turbin. You're trying to find a singer. Joey comes in and suddenly you have something very unique in a very melodic Still ballsy singer, but completely different. Was this a pleasant surprise for you guys? Were you looking for somebody more in the vein of a Tom Araya, or were you just no. kind of looking for anybody and you found the right guy? No, we from the start, this band has always been, in my mind anyway, my vision for the band was I always wanted a Ronnie. I always wanted a Halford. I always wanted a Bruce. That's how my vision for Anthrax was always having that type of a, a singer, <laughs> a, a, a singer. As, a, as our front man. That's how I, I've always seen it. So when certainly when we were looking for a singer, we were already making Spreading the Disease and uh, we were looking for a singer. That's what we were looking for. We weren't looking for a shouter or, or a barker as much as I love all those types of vocals, too. But it for me in my brain, that's never what Anthrax was supposed to sound like. I think collectively, that's how we all felt. It, for, for me, as soon as we heard Joey, that was it. It was just, it was over. That that it just automatically fit. It all made sense after that. And Joey, I'm kissing your ass right now. Enjoy this moment. <laughs> I, I get a few chips in the in the bucket for that. Thanks, Frank. No worries. <laughs> so, Joey, did you have any idea what th- what thrash metal was or really heavy heavy metal? I mean, was that something that you were doing, or you just kind of walk into this a little bit blind? Oh, uh, you know, for me, heavy metal. You know, doing Deep Purple and <laughs> yeah, right. Judas Priest, UFO, Rush. You know, maybe that type of thing, you know, even I mean, I can't think of heavy stuff at the moment, but the really I didn't come in there with any kind of perceived notion. And I started hearing their music and I just started singing and it just it's like like now I just I just sing. I don't really have any idea in any particular way. It's just you just start singing. You hear the key, you just roll. And that's basically what I did when I came in. I had no idea. I mean, there really wasn't any kind of instructions 
when we got mm. there. I just started singing. Even myself, I was like, holy cow, this sounds pretty cool. And it just the blossom from there you know scott mentions uh when you joined the band they wanted to do a little bit of a tour so you could see just what kind of a crowd that they're playing for did that kind of blow your mind when you saw you know stage diving and and moshing and all that sort of stuff yeah the, the whole thing was you know a lot quick you know i mean <laughs> i think for everybody i mean we were pretty surprised to see the craziness you know i mean it really adds to a lot of excitement but yeah you had to keep your eyes wide open or you're going to get knocked out you know uh, it got pretty crazy but i had no idea what was coming you know was that kind of your mindset scott to try and see if he could uh handle it no not to handle it it was more so that he joey was gonna really start digging into the vocal tracks on the album and it just seemed like it would be a great idea to for him to really experience the energy of what the live show was and you know between us between the five dudes on stage, but also with what was starting to happen with crowds at that point. Cause that's when the crossover certainly on the East coast with metals, like for us, you know, kids were starting a stage dive. There were pits happening at the shows. It was only a few months before that where that wasn't happening at metal shows. So that just started happening. And we're like, what a great idea, man. Let's, let's just go kind of fill the tanks with, that energy and then go back in the studio and finish the record and also make them feel more of the band more part of the band like we were together already so get joey mm -hmm. in the band make them feel like one of us it was really important i don't even remember taking a break and doing that for some reason i thought we finished the record and then we went out and played so i don't remember the break to be honest with you i can't even oh, remember when we stopped I remember taking taking a break we did armed and dangerous remember we we put that out yeah that came out and then we went out and did like two weeks of shows. And basically, I think what was on our minds was, was Joey going to put his fucking suitcase in the dressing room and tell it, someone, don't touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. That was, I think that was our thing. You know what I mean? And, and Joey didn't do that. And it was like, you're, you're, I love this guy. <laughs> everybody in the band, everybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> you gotta know you can get along right that's for sure yeah yeah well and, and speaking of getting along this there's, there's, there's uh, uh, something i wanted to ask about frankie when you came in the band now you know you kind of go from like the little nephew little brother guy who's you know the roadie and now you're in the band and you guys have been in a band and your nephew and uncle now eddie guerrero his nephews chavo guerrero and they're only three four years apart and they had some of the most horrific fights and then would cry and hug each other afterwards. And then two days later, I want to kill you as, you know, I'm sure with the family dynamic with you guys, I'm sure that's been some high spots over the years. Nothing's ever <laughs> happened. Nothing like that ever happened. I don't know. Because I've been straight ahead, dude. It's like we shake hands and say, how are you, sir? You know, it's, it's all well, good it's, stuff. It's, it's like Frankie's an equal, you know, he, he fights with everybody, <laughs> not just me. Yeah. Well, I, I look, I voice my opinion and I, I am who I am, you know. And, but uh, it is funny, though, like uh, the, the nephew-uncle relationship when you're really just mostly brothers. It's very, very close in age, yeah, correct? Yeah, We grew up together. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, Frankie, our friends at Geico ask, did you fit in right away when you joined Anthrax? Well, I, I think I fit in before, even because I was with him all the time. You know, he was already I, part I of I love Danny Looker. You know, we had a great time, man. It was just a good hang. We ball busted. Dude, that was like high school of ball busting. It didn't stop. And uh, that was it was just a great time to hang out with friends. They were friends. So uh, and then plus, I, I love the music. So it all worked. Let's talk about one of the uh, most influential and important gigs in heavy metal history. When you're talking about the Roseland Ballroom, which was Raven, Metallica, Anthrax, and saw all three of the bands get signed to major labels. And, and keeping in mind at the time, Raven was bigger than probably both of you guys. So what was the vibe like? And was everybody, I guess the idea is why did all three bands get signed? Was this the place to be for the record executives that night? Yeah. Yeah, it was similar to what happened with Twisted Sister a few years before that when you know, they were just no real labels would would even look at them. They were just looked at as this Long Island club band. And then they went and they sold out the Palladium in the city, which was a thirty five hundred seat venue without without a record deal, without any of that. They had their own seven inches out. And and uh, when we sell out Roseland, 
all three bands on an indie label, 3,500 tickets. Yeah. You know, people's <laughs> like, huh? And uh, yeah, every every A&R, every label had an A&R guy down there that night to see what it was all about. And even it was even it was kind of we didn't know where we were going yet, but we I think it was already pretty much known Metallica was going to Electra already. They had already been talking and i think johnny already had the raven deal at atlantic pretty much and we were still like uh like not that it would have been the worst thing in the world but like we want a deal too we don't want to be <laughs> just stuck on megaforce come on what about us and uh like nfl draft day yeah yeah right <laughs> but we well, i mean we had a great show we had we had an amazing show that night and then uh island records started sniffing around and i, I do believe we played the ritz Right. Didn't we do the Ritz in like early 85 with Joey? And then that's when we signed the back of the uh, spreading the disease as a group shot of us. That's at the Ritz. That's the night we got signed. Right. And um, I was so happy. Like Island Records was such a great label to be on, too. It was so eclectic. You know, they had YouTube, Bob Marley and Anthrax. Yeah. And it was it was so amazing. <laughs> you know, really I, unique, think, I, I think yeah, exactly. We, we weren't, you know, in a, in a huge pool of like hard rock and metal, we were the only band and they really did the work for us. I, I must say Island records busted their balls. I mean, because of them, we have the not man, you know, mm -hmm. really clear it up for Geico. They came up with the not man. Yeah, it was an ad. It was an ad and it said by George, I think he's got it. And it said not. And that was for spreading the disease. And it and had the kids, little face. It had the little yeah, finger puppet right. face in the ad. And they would <laughs> they would throw him on stage on that tour. Right. And it was like it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's make a shirt, you know, and that's how it all kind of happened. It was such a organic thing that built, you know, it wasn't like some marketing guy it was like, it, it was just amazing. You know, he won't go away. Yeah. And he, he won't, won't go away. away. <laughs> <laughs> well, and along the lines of organic, there's a lot of things that Anthrax kind of pioneered, were the first to do. And the first thing that I noticed was jeans and t shirts and jean jackets. And here comes Anthrax with the board shorts, the loud shorts. That was the first thing, which then influenced our whole generation of kids, which I think were probably in grade 11 at the time. So it's, 16 years old everyone's buying the craziest jams we used to call them i don't know what you guys call them yeah and jams. they'd be these wild colored like shorts and some of them would be like thigh high where they're way too short and some of them would be like knee high but we did that because anthrax wore those shorts on stage so suddenly it's cool you were definitely the first band in heavy metal to do that well the the surf culture in the Bronx and Queens was, was really big in the early 80s. <laughs> the East Huge. River, hanging 10 on the East yeah, River. Amazing. You, go to, you go to City Island and, man, you, it's just the <laughs> break there is just. I just that's what that's what I wore all day, all day long. But that, you know, even beforehand, when we were we were forced to wear a band uniform on the first like tour and stuff. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, hold on. A band uniform. Well, what was we, if you see pictures of us from the Fistful Tour in 84, you know, we're wearing much like Judas Priest look. We're wearing Judas leather Priest. leather pants and jacket, you know, and okay. stuff like that. And, you know, and I get it. I, I love the way Judas Priest looks and I love. But there already is that. Like, And I, I, you know, we were very physical performers, you know, on stage. And it's like and you're wearing this tight leather and you're weighed down with belts and spikes and and chain mail. And it's like, this is just not going to work. So as soon as, we were, as soon as we were free of that, we just were like, we're just going to wear what we wear. I wear these jams all day long because I skateboard in them. This is what I should just wear. Why do I have to change my clothes to go on stage? It made no sense to me. And who didn't want to be comfortable, you know? We just want to be comfortable and have fun. It was literally that's much how much thought went into that. It's just like, you know, I, I don't need to change my clothes. I think, uh, you know, we were the first band to sell baseball hats, too. Really? And and shorts, you know, as merch. Instead yeah. of a T-shirt, we, we would have a baseball hat and shorts. We wore a baseball hat all the time on stage, too. Yeah. They were the big wide-brim ones, too, though, right? You'd, you'd flip up the top and it would say, like, nod on it or something. Then I drew on it, too, and then Brett Michaels did it. That's right. Nobody caught that, I don't think. 
but that became the anthrax gimmick. No one else did that, you know, at the time. Well, they couldn't because then they would just look like us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there were a lot of bands that did were starting to look like us, you know, and uh, after you did it, right. After we did it. Yeah. And then we got a backlash after like around state of euphoria when people started to like, Oh, they look goofy. They look goofy. It's like, all right, whatever. You know, there was a jam backlash against you guys. There was. Yeah. Like, yeah. First they loved they it. They were smiling in photos and first they, yeah, exactly. They embraced it. They loved it. They were looking like that. And then, Boom. Okay, we brought these guys up and now let's tear them down. That's exactly especially I still wore shorts. Yeah. <laughs> we got to do it. So hell with that. Wait till they see wait till they see us on these festivals coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Borat bathing suits, maybe? Is yes. that what you're gonna be wearing? Yeah. Oh Dude. wait. Dude. Charlie sent a photo today to me and Mike. <laughs> yeah. I won't show it now, but I'll I'll text it to <laughs> everyone. All right, we're going to talk about I'm the Man, one of the first rock, rap, metal tunes. Before we do, big thanks to Geico for making this special Anthrax 40 episode possible. Do you own or rent your home? If you do, you know it can be hard work. But you know it's easy work? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. So the other thing, of course, well, there's a, there's many other things, but but another one of, is is when you guys did I'm the Man, which was the first example. Well, I guess you could say maybe uh, a walk this way with Run DMC and, and Aerosmith. But for you guys to do uh, I'm the Man on your own, one of the first kind of rock, rap, metal tunes, um, did you expect that to be as big of a hit as it was? Because once again, everybody loved that song. No, no it was... There was <laughs> the expert... Yeah, we... We figured the best way, the formula to write a platinum selling record is to to write the dumbest, uh, stupidest inside joke you could ever think of. Take the piss out of yourselves and then bury it on the B side of a 12 inch single in the UK. Yeah, fastest recorded, by the way. You get a platinum record. That's that's the secret. <laughs> no, no effort in recording that song whatsoever. It's three, three goofy guys. Doing, even doing... yeah, even our vocals on that. When when we recorded that, it was during the Among the Living sessions. Same, you know, when we recorded it, we we did those vocal tracks thinking the Beastie Boys were actually going to be doing it because we had already talked to them and they wanted They said, yeah, they would oh, be really? into it. Yes. And so we figured, well, let's at least break up the parts and we'll like do it. We'll do it ourselves and they'll have some type of at least a guide or, or something. And then they could do whatever the hell they want with it. So when we were even doing those vocals in my head, I'm just thinking like, well, MCA is just going to do this part anyway. So I don't what do I care? I did the same thing with Ad-Rock. I said, oh, I'll do a high voice like Ad-Rock and he'll sound and he'll just do it like this. And we just left. It was like more like scratch tracks, really. I think uh, we did more laughing. We did yeah. more laughing during that whole thing than anything. Yeah. yeah. And then because uh, we're not rappers. <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not rappers. We're like we were just trying to do our best, you know, third rate. Be- I mean, listen, I-, I forgot. Wait, I forgot to include something in the magic formula. Make sure that the music you have to use a Jewish and Italian folk song <laughs> to, to rap over. That's the key. You got to have Havanagia and Funiculi Funicula because that's really the secret sauce right there. And Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. That's it. E- well, that's easy, easy money. money. Easy, easy money. money. That's it. That's where it came from. I knew that from the start because I saw, I used to love that movie when I was a kid. You want some home fries? Give me all my home fries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Frankie, Frankie used to do that. Julio, that, that Taylor Negron, he used to yell at all the time. Rest his soul. Then. So like, that's, that's where the chorus idea come from, came from. I mean, we, literally the, all the lyrics to that are just, just trying to make ourselves laugh as hard as we can. You know, that's really all it was. There was no expectation. If anything, we thought, well, we, we love this, but you know, we'll, we're just going to put it out as the B side in the UK of the I am the law 12 inch single, because if if people don't like it, it it'll disappear pretty quickly. And of course, yeah. it, 
it was like that snowball rolling downhill. It just it fucking blew up. And do you remember we were in Dallas and we recorded that show live at the Arcadia Theater at the Arcadia Theater? And that's what they used for this EP that Island wanted to put out that I think what I think we were against doing it, too. Right. Yeah, we did. Remember that? Yeah. And then um, we actually did it. And I remember on the Kiss tour, it was out and it was fucking blowing up. And we were like, what the hell is going on? You know, and that thing went on to sell so many records. Remember Donington? I mean, the summer of 87, we do Donington and, you know, we did. I'm the man in front of 80,000 hard rock heavy metal kids. And they were singing all the words to it. It was it was crazy. Pretty incredible. Crazy. It was pretty incredible. And the and the 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 big thing is like, uh, who knew Joey could fucking play drums so good? <laughs> <laughs> and then he would jump back there and he'd start rocking out. And it was like, yeah, I think this is going to work. And what would you do, Charlie? Just I sing? Was, I was you I was rapping. Rap. <laughs> yeah, all his parts. And then I, I was trying to think about this the other day. All those parts like chair and all that. That was from that Letterman bit, right? Wasn't that a thing from like the Letterman show? They would do yes. the guy they Larry would do. Over- Larry, Larry Bud, Bud Melman. 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 Yeah. Right. yeah. We better we better not talk about that too much. <laughs> yeah, we gotta be careful with that. <laughs> I will say one more thing about the EP. Uh, thanks to you guys. You guys taught me what the meaning of the word taint oh, is. Taint. From your classic song Taint that's on there, which is uh Taint My Balls, Taint My Ass. What is it? Yes. And we had to think about that. Oh, that's what that means. See, I actually thought that song was going to blow up. I don't <laughs> yeah, that's I, the one. What about what? That was I actually know? huge in Lithuania, which you guys <laughs> don't know. Number one for about a year. That was, the, that was the hit. When you talk about kind of the fun side of the coin, and then you get the serious side of Bring the Noise, and that's another tune that just not only catapulted the band, uh, but also led to one of the best tours that you ever did, one of the, one of the monumental kind of genre-crossing tours with Anthrax and Public Enemy. So once I'm the man becomes a hit, now are you thinking we should do something a little bit more serious in this vein? Or was it another organic situation? No, not yet. Bring the noise. um, No, not yet. Uh, You know, we were we were friends with Chuck at at that point of 87. Chuck, see, Chuck came to see us at the Beacon at the end of 87. I remember him being in the dressing room. And there was a lot of mutual love between the two camps because I mean, I was wearing a PE shirt on stage all the time, and they they name checked us in Bring the Noise on Nation of Millions. So, you know, the, there was just a lot of mutual respect and love. And they were my favorite band at the time. Like for me, Chuck's voice was they they moved me the same way Maiden did and the same way Slayer did or ACDC or uh, I thought Chuck's voice was just the heaviest thing. And and uh, I still I, is. I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point. At some point, uh, 88, 89, you know, just that idea of if there was ever a way to get Chuck's voice and my guitar, I just I felt like I needed I needed that to happen. I remember thinking about that, like the the tone of his voice and the tone of my guitar in a song together would just be so great if that could ever happen. And, you know, slowly but surely, the whole thing crystallized. And then when we recorded Persistence, it was at the end of those sessions Charlie had finished drum tracks. And then normally once you're done with the drums, you know how it works. And then the drums get torn down and put away. And, and it was like, wait, 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 like, you know, stop the clock. Uh, Don't tear the drums down yet. And then basically Frankie, Charlie and I went out in the room and what we banged out that arrangement in 20, 30 minutes probably. And, and then, and then you tracked it. So, and we knew, we knew right then just with scratch guitar, bass, and the drums, it was already it. It already was such a monster. Even then, we knew we we're like, this is so fucking heavy. Like, wait till we get Chuck on this. And he gets on it. And suddenly, once again, you have another platinum album. Right. <laughs> well, because it's a great track. Right. I mean, it, it is. It's, it's it's undeniable. It's undeniable how how good that is. It's funny about that record, The Killer Bees. That was the record that crossed over to a different audience. Um, and I remember... Frankie and I did this photo shoot with details with oh, Anthony right. Kiedis. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Anthony was talking about the killer bees and like, well, I was like, wow. And then, and other people were talking about it and that record crossed over. And I always felt that 
we should have been that band that was on Lollapalooza, you know? Geico thinks so too. Because we kind of set that whole thing up and but we, we, didn't, we didn't get to do that. Like we were like, oh, they were, they're moving the velvet rope. We're about to go in. And then someone's like, hang on. These guys are metal. Push them back. They don't get in, you know? So, so we did know, our own. We, we did, did our own. Yeah, we did Anthrax, Public Enemy, Primus, and Young Black Teenagers. And if that's not an alternative wow. show, I don't know what is. It was before Lollapalooza. Same year, right? For, wasn't first Lollapalooza. No, first Lollapalooza was 92. So, right? So we were 90, 91. 91, yeah. So yeah, we, we did it. You're right. We actually before it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> When you guys talked about, you said that, you know, uh, Charlie and Scott and Frankie got together to work on these tracks. I mean, when uh, when they brought Chris Slade in this last time to play in ACDC when Phil couldn't play, Stevie Young, Angus, and Chris worked on their tightness for months before they finally got to the next rehearsal. Did you guys work like that in the early days? Because you're so tight, even to this day, which is probably just instinct by now. But I think Anthrax's rhythm section of the three of you uh, just says this, you know, it's a very ACDC-esque, but it's a, obviously a much heavier, heavier version. Is that something you guys really worked on, or is it just natural chemistry? Both. Both. It's a good, yeah. good answer, yeah. It's both, because, I mean, we used to work our asses off. Back in the day, you know, we were went, starting from the music building and then to that place in Yonkers, and, you know, in the in those early days, I mean, it was seven nights a week sometimes. We, we, were, yeah, we were in the room just playing, 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 playing. And then all those all those early years, you know, when you talk about the the making records and touring from, let's say, spreading on from spreading through killer bees, we never stopped. We never stopped album tour, album tour, album. Well, you know, like so you're in the studio making a record, you're working, playing, 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 playing. Then you're out on tour for 200 something shows and then writing and then right back in the studio. So all those years, I mean, like a decade of basically never, you know, never stopping. And uh, that just ingrains, you know, they say that 10,000 hours thing. We did 100,000 hours. You we know? Did, no I mean, doubt. Yeah. No doubt. But in the, mu- the music building in Jamaica, Queens, we would be there five nights a week sweating as if it was we're playing this big arena <laughs> or something like that. And I remember going to when Joey got in the band, we went to Ronkonkoma, uh uh, Long Island. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. And remember that? And we played there for like a week or two. And then we did that two week run. At best, yeah. Remember? And we just worked on our sleeping on the floor. Sleeping on the floor. We slept on the floor. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good story there. Good story there. There's, a good, there's a good story there. But <laughs> everybody knows. I leave it at that. Leave it at that. <laughs> You'd have to you'd have to talk to the lead guitar player about that one. <laughs> I love these moments. I remember I saw Paul and Ringo have one where they, they mentioned something about Widow Twanky and they looked at each other and just started laughing their asses off on Larry King a couple of years ago. Something happened there, but we don't need to know. <laughs> Another thing that was, that was very pioneering between uh, in, in Anthrax was the fact that Scott and Charlie, it's so ridiculous now, but at the time you guys cut your hair. Like, what? This is a heavy metal band. You have to have long hair, and you guys cut your hair. But that became part of the anthrax. I mean, to this day, the, the, the who's the bald guy with the goatee? The, oh, that's the anthrax guy. And then Charlie had the big, long rat tail. Uh, what kind of <laughs> prompted that idea? Well, there's a I thing called it. male pattern baldness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was already losing my hair in the 80s. Like, if, if you even look at, like, look at the Indians video when I'm headbanging, you see right through that shit. Right. And... I wanted to shave my head. We were up at Island Records in like 1985 or 86 or something one time. And Billy Milano was with us and I was going to shave my head in the Island Records office bathroom. And then Billy talked me out of it and he shaved not in my chest. But uh, yeah, I had wanted to shave my head forever. I just, you know, it was unfortunate. I started losing my hair early and I didn't want to be that guy. Like holding on to something that was never coming back. I hate it's. You didn't want to be that. in. You didn't want to be in Saxon. Yeah, I'm not. No comb overs. And there's no comb overs in metal. Actually, there are. <laughs> That's their problem. <laughs> so I was like, "Fuck this!" And you know, goodbye. Shave it. But to Scott's credit, he made a whole different image for himself that really worked. So yeah. it, it all. 
it's all yeah. good. Well, it's because right? you did it first. And that's my point. It made, it, it's right. like, oh my gosh, this is the first time we've ever seen this and it works. I know, fucking bald metal. <laughs> you know, we were we were finishing the Clash of the Titans tour and I was going to do it on that tour and I didn't do it. I waited till we finished it and then I cut my hair because I, I, I didn't like it. Just never liked it. Mm. Didn't like it. And I just felt the day I did it, man, I just felt so relieved. And that was it. I felt like a different person. Was the rat tail just because Neil Peart had one for a while? Yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's another widow twanky, another private joke. <laughs> um, one of the best moments from Anthrax because you guys mentioned you're smiling, you have great personalities. I just saw it a couple weeks ago. Is your is your appearance on Married with Children, which is legit funny. It's not one of these stunt castings where the guys are kind of like, you know, like Wayne Gretzky on Siren Live where he can't act and it's very stone delivery. It's really funny. Once again, one of the like classic moments in Anthrax's career. Yeah. Yeah, it gets talked about all the time. I mean, I can't believe how much people talk about it. Yeah, that I, I think about that week. I mean, that's one of those things that I think about it a lot, you know, like it'll just pop because, you know, Married with Children pops up or you see Ed O'Neill or... I, Katie Segal, I just heard her on on something. And, you know, you see Christina Applegate and you see these people. So that boom, the memory comes back. And <laughs> it was and it's a great memory. It was an unbelievable week. Just unbelievable. The story about it is originally we were pitched for The Simpsons and The Simpsons had already had their seasons all done, the season all done. So it got passed around and then the producers are married with children wrote this episode around us and that's how it happened and i'll never forget the first day we're at the table read and we're all sitting there and like what the fuck you know like every, all these people are sitting around us from the show and it was crazy and we took a break and went outside and there's tony danza yeah just right there you remember that yeah who's the boss was right next door it was so <laughs> surreal man that was, was surreal nuts. And it was great just hearing at that table read, just watching like Ed O'Neill do his lines with, with Katie and, you know, going over stuff and the laughs right there. What didn't work, what worked. That was so much fun, man. And we were just like kids in the candy stores. Yeah, this is awesome. You know, it's great. Yeah, we were all fans of that show, you know, so and we had met them before we, we got to play in one of those KNAC softball yeah. game or uh, TJ Martell, right? TJ Martell. So we had met them and, but you know, we never really hang out with them, but yeah. And then uh, suddenly you're in their bubble, like in their world. And I mean, I got to admit, I was super nervous. You're sitting there at the table and I'm like seeing like, Oh my God, my line's coming up. You know, like <laughs> just want You want to do a good job. You don't want to hold people up, but everyone was so nice. Yeah. And, like, you even changed the lines on us too a lot. So you yeah, couldn't really true. get set in your way. Right. And O'Neill oh. would pull you aside. Like I remember one time he pulled me aside and he said, you know what? Say it like this with the inflection here. And then he would do it. And he go try it like that. It might feel more natural. And you, I try it and be like, "Oh, thank you so much." You know, like it's just he was he was so cool. So the last the last day was Friday when they taped they taped two shows and they taped an early evening one and then there's one about an hour after that. So we did the first one. We thought we did so great, and then they changed our lines for the yeah. next show. Yeah, and it was like, oh no, what the we only fuck? had a couple of hours to learn our new lines and stuff like that. They kind of changed everything that was going on. I'm just going, really? It worked. <laughs> but, it up. but it was way better. The second one it was, was way it better. Totally, they were right about it. Totally. There was one part of that. Uh, there was a, a part in the script where I, I was so happy that it was me, uh, where Christina, where Kelly takes basically decides she's going to sleep with one of us. And it turned out it was that just so happened. It was me. And there was a part in the script where, and we even rehearsed it on the set where she takes me by the hand and we'd walk up the stairs to go to the bedrooms. Of course, there's no bedrooms up there. Yeah. You go through that doorway. There's nothing back there. But uh, when I, when I found out that was happening, I mean, my head was exploding because, you know, <laughs> wait till all my friends see this, you know, I mean, married with children was such a big show. And it's like, and I'm going upstairs to have sex with Kelly Bundy, right. In fake TV world. <laughs> right. That's amazing. Right. So cut to on the Thursday, uh, we're at the, the read and that whole thing is not in there. And I went over to one of the producers and I said, what happened to the scene where I go upstairs with 
with Christina. And he said, yeah, she came in the office last night and she was like, yeah, about that scene where I, I go upstairs <laughs> with uh, Scott. She's like, you know, I know my character's a slut, but she's not that much of a slut. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Pull the rug out from under me. Another thing I love about it, too, it's like uh, Anthrax meets the Phantom of the Park. Super thick New York accents. The colors. <laughs> the if, colors. It's in the, if it's in the fridge, why is it warm? <laughs> <laughs> Can't take that out, man. It ain't going to happen. Pearl <laughs> still busts my balls. Every once in a while, I'll say, I'll happen to say about right, something about it. Cause you go, the colors, the colors. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the tours that you guys had then, because you had some great ones. Are there some that stand out for you, like you know, touring with your heroes or touring with other bands that, that you didn't know as much about? There's so many. Maiden. I mean, come on to this day. You guys have had a great relationship with Maiden all the way up to you know 2019. I think you guys got to ride on the plane over there with them. I was in uh, 16, 16? Right? Or, yeah, somewhere 17. I can't remember, but imagine that yeah. already. It's that long. God, we did. Uh, yeah, we did that whole. Uh, we did a whole uh, Mexico, Latin America, South America run on the 747, which I have to say, as a as an ex touring experience, that for me is that's the biggest best craziest thing ever i mean i agree that's just something I, unless maiden decides to do it again it will never we'll never be on our own 747 again <laughs> you know for a month right. and they carried all our gear you know remember the first day we get on there and we're sitting like in first class that's where we are the band is upstairs maiden are upstairs and the flight attendants come out and what would you like to drink? And we're like, Oh, this is awesome. And then they have the iron maiden napkins and cups, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was just so crazy, man. Uh, loved it. And I will say this, Bruce Dickinson flying the plane was better than the other pilot. Oh, yeah. Bruce was smooth. Yeah. Yeah. He was awesome. <laughs> that came down and we swung around real quick. Oh, that was Chile. Flying yeah. Chile. Chile. That was yeah. That was wild. That's where the plane got hit. Remember? Yeah. Oh, on the runway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot. I mean, any maiden tour, but uh, specifically that one. Uh, you know, what an unbelievable experience! And then, besides just flying around on a plane with them and Bruce Dickinson flying you, we got to play stadiums all over with Iron Maiden. So we'd play these to the best metal audiences in the world. So we would have these amazing shows and then we'd get to watch Maiden yeah. play to those audiences. So everything about it was just, it was just fantastic. Remember the police escorts we had? Yeah. Police escorts. We would come through and the place was shut down until we got to the hotel. It was freaky. <laughs> you remember El Salvador? Uh -huh. You remember the El Salvador? So we played the, uh, we played the show there. And then the next day, I think the, who came to see us was like the vice president. Yeah. Or, or in like medicine. Met all Maiden and all of us and the crew and, every, and he met us in the lobby because we were about to go to the next uh, next country. And he's like, I wanted to come down and thank you. Um, he said yesterday in El Salvador, there was no crime yeah. because all the all the criminals were at your show. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, ah! <laughs> so funny, man. They've always been a class act from and they showed us how how to treat bands. They, right. they were always great from the beginning with us. So, you know, again, just a little a little thing at the end of that tour was special for me. Everybody flew home. They were flying to New York. So I was lucky enough to be able to fly home with them. They that's asked good. me on the maiden to, to JFK, dude. So that's a big deal for me. So I'm sitting in my first class seat, which is incredible because I'm you know spoiled at this point. I'm psyched as hell. So I get a tap from one of the flight attendants. Bruce would like to see you upstairs. No, I'm not going upstairs. I'm afraid, you know, I've never been in a cockpit. I'm not going up there. You know, I'm so, you, you should go, you know, you should go. I, I'd rather not. He goes, Bruce is insisting you, you're like, you're up there. So I go up there, man. I've never, I don't know if you've ever been in the cockpit. I'm, I'm freaked out with all that stuff coming at me. Right. I get it. I get in there. Apparently he was looking for some flight pattern to come into JFK that he couldn't find. So him and the, and the co-pilot were just throwing papers around everywhere. And, he goes, <laughs> and I'm like, there's like literally papers everywhere. So he looks back at me and he goes, Oh, great time to come, Frank. You know, I'm like, oh, and all of a sudden I felt really good. So I sit back. They finally found one. And then he does a couple of nice turns for me just to scare the shit out of me. It was <laughs> fucking awesome. Dude, we got in there. I go right through. I, I live in New York all my life. 
customs in, in JFK, not the easiest place, right? When mm-hmm. you go in, I went with the maiden pass, dude. Nobody stopped me. I went right through. I went right through. <laughs> It was class act all through, man. I loved it. We had a whole trip, too. Remember, every time we went somewhere, we could go in and out like nothing happened. Yeah. Or we have a breakfast with Bruce with his suit on in the morning. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> ready to take off you know, to prepare for his flight. You know, we have to mention, too, as specifically as, as a New York band, we when we headlined Madison Square Garden in 91 on Clash of the Titans, and then, of, of course, also playing Yankee Stadium on the Big Four, like those stand out to me too as two moments that are as you know, uh, for me you know uh, that's huge. Uh, uh, for for Anthrax, because you know, with Maiden, yeah, it, that's we were we were the support, and it's it's always amazing to be with them. But uh, you know, for us, well, we didn't headline Yankee Stadium, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Getting to play Yankee Stadium as part of the Big Four also was uh, you know for me, what's bigger or better than that? It's just mind blowing. How important were the big four shows because it was massive? And as Geico points out, a monumental moment for heavy metal fans. Not enough shows. Yeah. We wish, you know, of course, everyone was hoping for more. And hey, who knows? <laughs> Someday. <laughs> you know, but it was great. It was it was great for us. It was it was such perfect timing for us with, you know, worship music coming and like literally worship music coming out the week we played Yankee Stadium. You know, it was just uh it was such a great launch pad for us again. And really like we haven't looked back since, you know, 2010, 2011, when we were doing those shows um, and they were amazing. And you could obviously for the fans, it was uh, because, you know, the business those shows did, you know, it's something that people are really excited about and it, it created a lot of excitement and there was a lot of energy around it. I think all the bands on it were happy to be there and everybody was getting along and, uh, you know, it was it was really great. And Metallica, again, also much like Maiden in that way, really went above and beyond uh, to make sure everybody was taken care of and did the right thing by everybody on on every possible level. Uh, it, it was just such a great thing. Even even the Clash of the Titans, the Ozzy tour, the Kiss tour. Those are really great, too. I mean, Matt. Talk about awesome. When you do these big shows with Metallica, you know, the stadium, and considering you guys started out the exact same way, you know, you 1983, 84 with Johnny Z at the, you know, rock and roll heaven and puking on each other at the record store and all those stories. When you, when you see them now, is it still like that? Or is, it, is, is, is there a little bit of like, oh, they're Metallica now? Or is it still the same old dudes and it's all cool? I just saw Kirk a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're the same two idiots we were in 1983. Yeah. That's awesome. Totally. I'm just happy. I'm happy for my friends. I, the way I look at it, Metallica is like a phenomenon of our time, right. really, mu- music. So I love that. Yeah, we all started together, but I love to see that that happened, you know, for one of us. I, I call it one of us. So well, they um, are. Yeah. It, so I, I just think it's a great thing to see that there, our music, our type of music became this big stadium thing, right? How great is that? It's an amazing thing that that happened. And I, look, I'm glad one of us got to that, that status. It's awesome. So the rest of us will play with you. Great. I'll, I'll do another big four right now. That was a great experience. That was, that was fun. Johnny Zio is used to say back in the early days, like when, when Metallica was going out with Raven, yeah, they were opening for Raven in the summer of 83. And we'd be like, oh, my God, you know, what an amazing thing to be able to go out on a tour. And he's like, you'll get there. You'll get there. You're only six months behind them. Right. <laughs> I think about that sometimes now, like, are we still is that six months from now? We'll be <laughs> think about that too. <laughs> you guys, once again, we, we, as, as we start to wind down here, 40 years of, of being one of the biggest bands in, in, in heavy metal. And like Scott just said, after the big four with worship music and for all Kings and, and lots of momentum, it really is at the point, especially now that we're finally getting past this pandemic, that it seems that in a lot of ways, anthrax is bigger than ever. Would you guys agree with that? No, I think we should take five years off and then come back and then we'll be even bigger. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a pet peeve of mine. But anyway, um, I think that um, we were, we're definitely different. We're so educated now on how to do things at that. Like when we go, we're going to do these festivals coming up and we're definitely going to step it up, you know, with the show, because I see in the past three years, a lot of bands have stepped up the show. And that's one thing that we want to do is, is do that, you know, 
bring a bigger show to the fans. It's what we did in the eighties. You know, we looked at maiden and bands like that every year. You'd come back with a new stage set, you know? And uh, so that's what we started doing. And then at some point we stopped doing that. And it's like, kind of like, well, maybe it's time to start doing that again. Makes sense. It's for the fans, man. Bottom line. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting too, because, because like we said, uh, as you get older too, you kind of know, like when you're younger, like I had this with some of the guys that I work with back in the past, you know, you're busting each other's balls and this guy's a fucking asshole and fuck him. And as you get older, you realize like, why did we argue so much? Like just give each other a little bit of extra space. And do you find that as you grow older as a band that you know each other's boundaries and you're better because of it? You have to do it. You know, you gotta, you gotta see what people are feeling out and how their lives are going, you know? Yeah. I mean, look with, with maturity and stuff, you'd hope or with maturity, comes maturity you would hope right i think you really need to a lot of that stuff needs to be addressed i think when you're younger and you're in the thick of it back then because you know that's when it's the most difficult and if you could get through that you know that's why you don't see a lot of bands that's why bands break up Mm -hmm. you know yeah and uh, and if and if you can't have hard conversations sometimes and if you can't really address address those things when you're when you are younger, you'll never make it to being in a band when you're older. Like, for instance, nowadays, if you come to our show, two things, you'll get one night or the other night. If you come to a show and we're backstage, you may see the four, five of us in corners, like talking to our families or whoever, you know. And then there'll be other nights when somebody will come to the show and you'll have something afterwards and you kind of blow it up. You know what I mean? Right. It's just we still enjoy that you know, blowing it up some nights, you know, but then there's other nights where it's just kind of, it's mellow, you know? Of course. Of course. Question from Geico. Will you do uh, some kind of a 40th anniversary tour or anything like that? Once you guys can go back on tour. I don't think so. Cause you know, that's where we're doing the, yeah, we're doing the live stream, you know, to kind of commemorate it, to cap off this whole buildup of the documentary series, you know, and, Certainly, at least revel in the occasion. I'll certainly be raising a glass on July. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> on get July eighteenth, he's going to be in the band soon enough. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, look, we have we have a lot of one-offs this year, festivals, and uh, and then going into twenty-two. Certainly, the hope is uh, a new record, and then get back to it. We'll be back out there touring again for real, if the world allows. Uh, you know, next year. And will we brand that a 40th anniversary? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's something that we need to do because it's already passed. We'll, we'll save it for 50. <laughs> you got the live stream coming up. You're going to do some stuff that, uh, that you haven't done in a while. No, the fans don't want it. <laughs> they never ask us that. You put up a list of songs of all your tracks and you ask the people to vote in and it happens every time. The top 20 songs are the 20 songs you play all the time. <laughs> yeah. so, and they get half people mad about them. You're still playing the same songs. Look, I love the change. This, this, this whole demographic wants this. So it's, it's tough. It's right. When, when we were doing the Among the Living show a couple of years ago, where we were playing the whole record, we quickly realized, first of all, I think it was Charlie who said, we can't play it in sequence order. It's <laughs> yeah. really not working. Because that record, the sequence of that record, it goes what? Among, caught, uh, I am the law, like NFL skeleton NFL, in the closet, Indians, closet. Indians, right? It's like six in a row of big <laughs> songs that, you know, like big anthrax songs. And then it goes to like one world, which we hardly, yeah. hardly you ever, load. Yeah. We hardly ever did that song live and then horror of it all. And then imitation of life. So after Indians, it would literally go from here and then crickets. Right. For the last three songs. Like it's like people never heard those three songs. <laughs> like we were literally like we were playing new songs. And uh, so we changed we changed the order. So we weren't like sliding down a slope for the last 15 minutes of the set. And that just really shows you too. like people would go nuts for those first six songs. And then they get to something that they weren't as familiar with. And literally the, the, the fucking energy went <laughs> Very strange. It's like when Metallica did the Black Album in its entirety, they started from the last song and went all the way back to Enter Sandman for right. that same reason. The live stream, 
where we are playing different yeah. songs. We're yeah, not, yeah, not we playing the same. <laughs> I know. I was being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. We'll play uh, some songs off of Fistful, too, you know. So looking forward to it. Last uh, question for you guys. What's your, I guess, uh, not to sound too Oprah, but what's kind of like your last thought about the last 40 years of Anthrax, your overall feeling of this huge part of your life, and what's your favorite Anthrax record that's not Among the Living? You want to start, Charlie? Well, I mean, the obvious thing, the first thing that comes to my mind is kind of like family. Like, everybody's kind of like family. I I see these guys more than I saw my family, you know, during the years, during our adult life, we spent pretty much a lot of time together. So if I don't see them in a long time, and then when I see them, it's kind of like, oh, here's what I've been doing. And then we all start kind of talking, like, and then we start laughing. And then, uh, and then, and then that finishes, and then we're back to, I see it. We got to go. <laughs> no, but, no, but it's like, I think of that a lot. And I, I actually think about spreading the disease more because that was the word record where i think we became that band you know geico says you're next joey your thoughts well i guess it's just the uh, overall just being a musician and being able to stick with it and be always on the on the up and up you know just do what you need to do and be be a good good band guy you know whatever it is you got to do to be in a band and just just take it and, and all the success that we've had and i'm really happy about that it makes you just feel good about what you've achieved you know Again, it's same thing with Charlie said, spreading, because that's where it all happened for me, where everything just kind of, I plugged in and here we went, you know, and it was, that was that. <laughs> Frankie? It's crazy, you know, 40 years in, you, you say, and these albums are more like scrapbooks of your life, if you look at them the way they are, and you remember the times, the touring, the great times and recording, all that stuff, all the, the whole ride, I call it, I, I enjoy the ride. Uh, and the ride, funny enough, and you, you go to records. I like what we, we're doing now uh, for all kings. So I, I leave it there. For me, it makes a lot of sense where we're on right now and to see what we're up to next. So always going. I like the mystique that Anthrax has because you don't know where we're going. I love that about the energy. It's an energy that we have. You don't know what we're going to come up with. You know, it's going to be quality. But I'm excited not only as the band member, but a fan. I think that's really important. Scott? I was fixing the light in here because it was make uh, still is. I'm giving me like these crazy looks like uh, these angry eyebrows. <laughs> Dude, I thought you just uh, did some new makeup thing. It looked good. Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah. What was uh what was the first part of the question? Just uh, what's your kind of your 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 overall thoughts about anthrax forty years later? <laughs> Mr. Oh, Lugosi. I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm just looking at his eyebrows now, dude. It's crazy. I don't know what <laughs> I'm doing now. Play the devil. Do it with all my glasses. There you go. Doing this kind of thing. I love the fact that we've been able to do whatever we've wanted to do always. It's it's just always been our band. It's just we've done it our way. In a lot of ways, it's it just really plays to my kind of blue-collar work ethic of getting up in the morning and, and going to work. It's not something I've ever had a problem with. And I love the fact that this has been what I've gotten to do for all of these years, all these decades, like that. This is what I get to do. And, you know, the, the joy, I think that even if I, it's not like something I'm constantly thinking about or, you know, ruminating on, but I know how happy this has made me in my life because you know, I, I'm generally a very happy person. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is what I've gotten to do all these years. And it's all I ever wanted to do. And I say that keeps you young. So fingers crossed. <laughs> Favorite album that's not against the uh, Among the Living? It's tough. My gut instantly was worship music. But uh, then I started thinking about persistence, too. Mm. And uh, there's just, I don't know, something about that record. I, I revisited it it not that long ago and was like really listening to it for the first time in a long time. And uh, yeah, man, there's some fucking great songs on that record, like really heavy. And uh, uh, 
I don't even remember writing some of those lyrics. I was like, wow, I, I wrote that. Like, wow, <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. And <laughs> it would be one of those two, I guess, persistence or worship. Well, it's great to to, to do this with you guys. And uh, congratulations on 40 years. I've been a huge Anthrax fan. Winnipeg was always a big Anthrax it's city, rich. even more than the other two uh, mm-hmm. big fours besides Metallica. So to be sitting here with you guys is uh, is very cool for me as a fan and, and as a friend as well. And as a peer, because we did sell out Kufstein. We sold out Kufstein. Which was which was huge. I mean, there's the Budokan and there's the garden and there's Kufstein. So we will always have that. We are huge in Kufstein. Right. <laughs> Thank you guys. I look forward to seeing you on the road somewhere soon. You too. Right on. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks, Chris. You can ride on our bus any day, Fozzie. Remember you got stuck with your toothbrush and no I clothes? did, yeah. We were stuck in our, we had a little bit of an accident and I got stuck with you guys in Denmark. Yeah. Yeah. With my toothbrush. Scott wasn't there. That's when uh Andreas Kisser showed us how to make a bong with an apple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Good times. That's good. I had to bring that up. It was too funny. And don't forget, and this includes you, Geico, check out the Anthrax 40 live streaming event this Friday, July 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Tickets and the show are available at anthraxlive.com. 